Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Hudson Mata Stories. Today, uh, we're going to hear from a graduate of Hudson Montessori School, uh, Max Rosenwasser. Max is, uh, um, after he left our um, middle school, graduated from our middle school, he went to Western Reserve Academy, then on to Brown University, and then did a stint in Teach for America and is teaching uh, high school uh, in Los Angeles. So we had a really interesting conversation about his path to TFA, what he's doing, um, as well as some non-educational topics that I think that you will find interesting. I guess the last thing I would note is Max is actually a member of our board of trustees. Um, he and Megan Lavins are two alum that serve on our board of trustees, and we're grateful for him to do that. Enjoy this episode, and again, thanks for tuning in. Max, thanks for joining us for this episode of Hudson Monta Stories. Um, uh, how, how's your day going in Los Angeles? It's going quite well. Just taught four classes in a row and got one more after lunch. Okay. So how long is a class at your, at your school? Uh, typically, we do block schedules, but Wednesdays are quick sprint. So it's just 50 minutes, three-minute passing period, 50 minutes for six straight periods. Wow. Okay, three minute passing period. That's that's pretty tight. Very tight, but we make it work. <laughs> yeah, uh, you um, you came to your school. You came to Alliance ESAT uh, High School. Where is that in LA, by the way? Tell me where that is. It's in Atwater Village, Glassell Park area. So just a little bit northeast of downtown LA. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, you came to that through Teach for America. Um, uh, maybe make the, could you quickly introduce us to what Teach for America is and what, what drew you to it? Um, why, why did you want to get involved with it? Yeah, so Teach for America is a program that essentially places people who want to be teachers in schools that really need that extra support. They're typically Title I schools that are underserved. And so they really need teachers who are interested and engaged in helping out. And my process of becoming a teacher really started probably back in first or second grade at Montessori when I got the opportunity to help out other students and I would usually finish my work. And so the teacher would send me off and say, explain that to so-and-so, work them through this concept. And so for a long time, I had a, a very fond experience with just helping out my classmates, which mm. turned into tutoring, finally some education classes in college, and really the choice for Teach for America just came in late 2016, okay. that fall, Yeah, when I decided, yes, there were a lot of other things that I could do, but really where I think my talents most aligned with the needs of different communities was being in a classroom with students. And so Teach for America was a great way that you graduate from college, two months later, you're in a classroom teaching a full class. And that was really the clear option for me at that point. Okay, so I have like 100 questions that I want to ask you because uh, as an educator, I just, I'm interested. So um, I have read and I don't know if this mm -hmm. was the case when, when you were going through the application process at TFA, that in some cases, getting a spot in TFA was more competitive than, say, like an investment banking analyst on Wall Street or something like that. What was the process like to 
was it was it that uh, was it was it was it competitive for you to be selected to be a TFA core member? It was definitely much more competitive than I thought in my perception of Teat for America. Um, I remember them saying somewhere around ten to fifteen percent acceptance rate, so pretty low there. Yeah. But really, the process is there are some questions. They did a pretty good job of recruiting on college campus, so they right. have a lot of conversations, explaining, making sure you really were making an informed decision. And the actual interview was pretty fun because you got to teach a five-minute lesson. <laughs> and I think that was probably the hardest part for folks is because especially if you hadn't taught before, yeah. you're like, oh, I teach a concept five minutes, great. I have all the time in the world. And when yeah. it actually comes down to it, five minutes is barely yeah. anything. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. Full thought. Yeah. And so what was your what was your topic? I I taught the declension of Latin nouns. Yeah, of course <laughs> I did. I thought it was fun because no one else would knew what that was. So it was a nice, like fresh experience for everyone and they were really engaged. Yeah. And it was a nice quick pattern that you can get through in just five minutes. Uh, you, uh, so, uh, did you have a choice of where you wanted to go or did you just say, I'm, uh, wherever you need me, put me. They have a huge ranking system. Um, you like 15 different preferences, yep. like tier one, tier two, tier one, A, B, C. And I believe my top three choices were Los Angeles, yep. Boston, Massachusetts and Washington, DC. So the Washington and Boston, I had family there, but I'd always kind of been interested about the West Coast. And so I threw it on the top of my list. And sure enough, that's where they put me. Uh, I'm going to come back to that notion of living on the West Coast in a moment. But um, uh, does TFA, you mentioned urban, is, is it strictly urban or do they do rural as well? No, they definitely have some rural places. That was actually one of the high needs area when yeah. I was applying. Yeah. was in Mississippi Delta and yeah. I believe somewhere in Arkansas. So right. definitely that is, um, there's a pretty good range of whether you want urban, rural, West Coast, East Coast, pretty much anywhere TFA has a spot. So I will quickly, this isn't a podcast about me, but I will quickly say 1994, I was at Vanderbilt and TFA, this was, it was still, I, I don't know when it started, but it wasn't too, it was still getting its roots. Yeah, and I came to Vanderbilt, and I saw a, um, I saw a little poster on the wall, and I went to the information, and, and I, this was like maybe January of my senior year, and I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do when I graduated. Probably I shouldn't be admitting this, but um, I went to the information session, and I got so excited, and they said you need to do a demonstration lesson. And it was like in two days or something like that. That's that's how they were operating at that point. And I got so terrified of doing a demonstration lesson that I didn't go through with it. And there's regrets that you have in your life, and that was a big one that I just didn't say. I'm just gonna give it a shot and see what happens. So I'm I'm glad that you did that. That's really I'm in, um, I'm glad for your students that you did that as well. Um, I think of, uh, you said, educationally underserved areas. I tend to think that many people might have a perception in their mind that it is, um, uh, you know, kind of all potentially negative. I'm, I'm curious, could you talk to us about a few bright spots, either in your experience in your classroom or uh, with your school that we, we need to know about as, um, you know, about, about these schools that are um, uh, throughout the country? Yeah, I think it's really, I'd heard that term like underserved Title I schools and 
you really don't understand it, I think, until you meet the people and hear about their lives, because that can mean everything from, hey, some of my students didn't really have a math teacher who taught them math for several years. And so that's going to feel some kind of way coming into my classroom. Um, but you also have students who, hey, I haven't seen you for three weeks because getting to school is really tough for you because you might not have a car, you might need to help out your mom at work, you might need to take care of your siblings. And so there's definitely a lot of different things that that can mean. But I would say it really, I think, speaks more to the circumstances in which these young people find themselves rather than the actual people. And so some of the bright sides are that, especially this year, I've noticed a lot of students who yeah, did not have a great math education for a while, are really thirsty for that math because they know it's important, they want to learn it, and they just haven't had the opportunity before. And so there's definitely so many passions, and it's amazing some of the artwork that these students produce or our school play is coming up next tomorrow and the next day. And so it's really interesting to see when they are given these opportunities, all the incredible things that they can do with them. Are you comfortable with me asking the demographic of your high school? Yeah. So it's about, I just saw the stats last week. I think it was 86% are on free or reduced lunch. So that's mm -hmm. kind of the economic status. And right. then I believe racially it breaks down about 93% Latinx students, about 2 or 3% African-American students. Uh, about the same Asian students and one or two percent white students. So uh, you as a majority culture, um, is that your first experience with that being um, part of the majority culture, but not in your community? Was that your first experience doing that? And can you talk a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, I'd say definitely to this degree. Um, and I think it's especially interesting when you are in a position of power as pretty much the one white person in the room. Uh, it definitely draws it out at some points. And it also just played into yesterday's class where I had a parent-teacher conference. The parent does not speak any English. Mm -hmm. And while I learned Spanish in Montessori, I then think I might be the only Montessori graduate not to take Spanish afterwards. You are, you are. <laughs> um, so... That was a little mistake, and for a few years, I let it really kind of disintegrate a bit, but especially since I've been back in LA, I've gotten to practice that a lot more, and so I was able to get through most of the conference just talking with her, understanding her, and then since I was in that mode, I started talking some Spanish in my classroom, and the students flipped out because they were not expecting it, and <laughs> I'm really shocked when I do that, but it definitely plays into a lot of other expectations that I have for them that I think partially because I'm white, partially because I had an incredibly fortunate educational experience growing up, I don't always see those gaps. And it could be everything from just like knowing how to fill out a standardized test form to some of the keywords that we use. Um, I really have to sometimes pause, check myself and say, why don't 70% of the students in this class know it? Is it because I did a bad job teaching it? Is it because 
they're doing a bad job of learning it? Or is it just, again, going back to some of those circumstances and things that they've been exposed to? Tell me the classes you teach. So this year I'm teaching Integrated Math 3, part of Common Core Curriculum, which mostly aligns to Algebra 2. And then I'm also teaching an AP Computer Science Principles class. Okay. And so that you mentioned as we were prepping for this, you're trying to bring computer science into the school. So is that a, um, that's a new class to, um, to uh, your high school? Yeah, I was really fortunate that last year they let me kind of do a tester. Yeah. So we had 17 students trying out computer science. Then we found out, hey, there's an AP. So this year it's a full AP class of 28 students. Hmm. And hopefully in the future years, there's actually another AP computer science. So I'm going to try and get not just one class, but a full series of classes, a full sequence into the school. And we also started a programming club this year, which a lot of students are really interested in, especially because the AP is only for seniors. And I really wanted to get more students in at a even younger age. Um, maybe maybe we can uh, make a note that we touch base um, later on down the line to see how the AP test went. Not knowing that that's not the only indicator of success, but, but obviously it is one. So maybe it'd be interesting to see how it goes. Good luck with that. Yeah, last year I actually had five students who just really wanted to go for it. Um, Four of them passed, and one of them just turned in his stuff late. <laughs> ah, well, that's yeah, great. So far, that's so far, the staff are good. Yeah, well, good enough. Um, talk to us about living in L.A. You're the first guest who we've spoken to that's on the West Coast. We've had uh, uh, Italy and uh, Atlanta and uh, uh, Cleveland, um, but talk to, talk to us about uh, L.A. L.A. is different. Um Growing like I grew up in Kent, Ohio, went to school in Hudson. And when I was looking at colleges, I really decided I was not going to stay in Ohio, wanted to get out and pretty much looked at either East Coast or West Coast. Ultimately decided East Coast, never got to visit anywhere on the West Coast. And so it was, again, one of those potential regrets that you have in life that you always think back to. So fortunately, I got the opportunity with TFA to take that path untaken before and it's it's different i think it's good because it's really pushed me out of my comfort zone it's pushed me farther away from a lot of my family and friends so i've had to make new communities new connections and i think the biggest thing is also just the weather there's weather weather (laughs) yes the weather indeed right yeah and i'm missing that snow i know it's probably like a beautiful all day there you're getting that brisk chill maybe oh, around this the time color, the colors are beautiful yeah so you have like one uh you have a pretty steady climate i guess that you uh yeah experience a solid 80 the past couple days yeah. and sun which is it's great but i think i just missed the sense of time passing yeah uh, do you uh what's your commute like commute is super easy it's about 50 Oh, no, no. By car, it's about 11 minutes. Okay. And on and off, I do biking, which is only about 17. Good for you. Very much for LA. Is it a bike-friendly city? No, I've been hit twice by cars. Wow. What? (laughs) Yeah, one time went straight over the windshield and thankfully wearing a helmet. Otherwise, I don't think I would be here, honestly. And 
yeah, so it is not bike friendly. Most of my commute does have a really nice bike path around a lake, which is perfect. Uh, if I were going through like downtown or other places, I would definitely think twice. Yeah, yeah. yeah fair enough. Uh, one thing I remember driving in LA is the motorcycles that go like between. Oh my God, the lanes. <laughs> Still happening. And it's like, you know, yeah, right. Did <laughs> uh, anyone? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so uh, let me shift Max to some questions that we ask everyone on the podcast, if that's fair. Um, yeah. What What is what's got you thinking right now? What are you curious about? Hmm. Really thinking about, I would say, data all the time. Because one, I listened to a great podcast called Freakonomics about redesigning math education, making it more data focused. But also my job already is pretty data focused, um, constantly reviewing students' scores, seeing how they're doing, adjusting your instruction. And then also with computer science, uh, I found a great course on YouTube about artificial intelligence. And that was one of my major focuses in college. And any set of data, even if it's last night I was watching a baseball game with my uncle, uh, just pouring over all those different patterns that you can find and oh, cool. finding a new kind of look at the world. Uh, Nats or Astros? Uh, gotta be careful. My roommate's from Houston. My uncle's from DC. Okay, so you're neutral. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I like baseball. Yeah, that's cool. Good for you. Uh, uh, you mentioned podcasts. We have a question. A lot of people are interested in podcasts. This is a podcast. Um, you mentioned Freakonomics. What are other? Uh, what's another podcast that you think we need to um, have uh, have on our favorites? Ooh, also a really good one I'd say is Five Thirty Eight Politics podcast. Although they do have a sports one as well. If you're more into, I think they do mostly baseball, basketball, maybe. But um, Five Thirty Eight, it's a great data-driven journalist yeah. site. Yeah. And especially what I love is they do all sorts of current politics topics. But one of the main hosts is Claire Malone from Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, cool. And so. Just constantly throughout the entire podcast, uh, sometimes we'll actually shout out the exact same thing, obviously, <laughs> with our preparation, uh, just because it's fun to have that more local Ohio perspective on some of those national topics. So that's Nate Silver, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Nate Silver, Claire Malone, Harry Enton, the whole crew. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I follow Nate Silver on Twitter, and yeah, definitely data-driven. Um, who's been the kindest to you in your life? Oh, there's a lot of people. Um, I would say one person I think of is one of my best friends, Joy, who we met in college. We played sports together. We hung out together all the time. And then she actually is from L.A. And so when I first moved out here, she was basically the only contact I had. Her parents lived down in Long Beach. She then moved back to Long Beach and really has just always been there for me, always checking in, making sure I'm okay, and really just one of my biggest, I'd say, like, cheerleaders, inspirations, and just, like, partners. That is cool. What sport did you play with her? <laughs> we were co-captains of the Quidditch team. I knew it! 
So he introduced her. I was a speaker and did well together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are there funny stories that your family or friends tell about you that come to mind? Maybe Quidditch related. I'm not sure. Oh God. Um, lots of silly stories. I would say one that kind of comes to mind though is my sister and I always got into so many shenanigans. Everything from like stealing credit cards to driving cars at the age of five. <laughs> and I'd say one that just kind of always sticks out though. It's not a pretty one, but one day we were standing at the top of the stairs, flight of 14 stairs. And for some reason, my sister pushed me down <laughs> and I'd tumbling down every single one of those 14 stairs. Mm-hmm. What? Then I got up. Just walked back up and shoved her down all nah, 14. For good measure. Yeah. And yeah, it's just this weird thing where now we have a great relationship. Neither of us is permanently injured. Um, but there's so many times when it'd be that or like dancing on the coffee table to Greece, where Aww. we just kind of had this symbiotic relationship and just stuck through things together, whatever it may be. <laughs> that is cool. What, uh, if you're not teaching, what, uh, what profession would you like to, what other profession would you like to attempt? doesn't even have to be feasible. You know, it could just be something that you would dream of. I'd say a lot of my students ask me why I'm not a computer programmer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I ask myself the same question. Um, definitely something out there. And I do it in my spare time, but it would be cool as a full-time job. Or really, I am fascinated by politics, and I don't, I don't know if I could be a senator, a secretary, or some position in the government. Um, but I think it would be cool to at least be an advisor, maybe a bit more out of the spotlight, but still having a voice in those conversations. Awesome. Do it, do it. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you have a, a campaign manager. <laughs> Uh, what turns you off? Ooh, one thing is just because I encounter this a good amount is a real defeatist attitude or almost an anti-intellectual attitude. And so whenever I hear things like, I'm not a math person or I can't do that. And half the time I realized you haven't even tried, then that's where I get really frustrated because I think it just shows a lot of people don't have a, enough confidence in themselves. And I wish that we could help build that um, because there is so much potential there if you can just get past a lot of those voices saying no. Hmm. Again, it's uh, great that you're in front of or working with uh, young people because that's a great thing to convey to them. Um, what's your favorite word or phrase? have a lot of words. I do love linguistics as well, whether it's Spanish or Latin or math. Right now, I'd say looking around, I actually have a phrase I've had on my board for the past month after my ninth graders really needed it, which is in Greek, it's noku auton, which is just know thyself. Ah. And again, the theme I've been working on this year but really figuring out who you are, what your strengths are, what you bring to the table, and embracing that and going for it. Nice. That is nice. Uh, closing out, what's your favorite memory or experience at Hudson Montessori School? 
Definitely have a lot of them. I would say it's harder to think back to some of those early years, mm -hmm. but definitely in the middle school, just because you spend so much time together with such a small, close-knit group of people, that's where probably most of my most poignant memories are. And especially just all those days when you go to school, you learn things, you work on your own, you create something new, and then at 3.30, you say, nope, going to stick around for another hour and a half, two hours and make jam together or clean out the attic and do some finances while also killing some bugs with Windex um, <laughs> or eating paper with Henry Trimpey. Oh. But basically just all those times working with the microeconomy and just doing like really hands-on like real life activities with other people and essentially the things that you would do with your family to build those connections around the stove, around the checking book, whatever you need to do. Yeah, that's good community. Yeah, that's well, that's a neat memory. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, well, Max, we, we appreciate you taking time in between what is a really busy day to sit down with us. Um, it's great to catch up. We wish you luck uh, in your classes and the work that you're doing um, with your students and, uh, and, and have a great day. Thank you. Hope so to much. See you Hope soon, yeah. Come again. Hope to see you soon. Yes. Can't wait to get back to that nice Ohio fall. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thank you. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Hudson Monta stories. Uh, if you have any feedback about our podcast or ideas of topics that you'd like us to address, uh, you can always drop me an email. My name is Matt Virgil, and my email is mvirgil, V-I-R-G-I-L, at hudsonmontestory.org. I'd love to hear from you. And, of course, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can always be alerted when we release one. Uh, there's uh, three ways you can do that. You can subscribe on Apple iTunes, uh, through Spotify, or on Google Play. If you just search Hudson Montestories. It should bring it up and you can subscribe. And of course, if you write us a review, we'd certainly appreciate it. Um, that's one way that uh, we can uh, grow the podcast. So thanks again for tuning in as always. And uh, we'll talk to you next time.